0: because I want you to have a profitable private practice. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Therapy for Your Money. Today, we're talking about how therapists and practice owners can save for retirement. Uh, So with me today, I have Julie Thager. Julie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Julie. Thanks so much for
0: having me. Yeah, thank you. We'll try to keep things straight right with Julie and Julie. (laughs) I'll try to, hopefully you can follow along with our voices listener. Um, okay. So we're talking and let's jump jump uh, right into who you are, what you do. Give us the the lowdown.
1: Sure. So I'm a financial advisor and my office is in Maryland. I we're, My firm is licensed to work with folks in lots of different parts of the U.S. And my first career was in reproductive and sexual health. So I, I like to joke that being a financial advisor is sort of like doing sex ed, like for older people. And (laughs) my, my transition into this field really happened as I got older. And I, and and this is, it sounds like a joke, but it is just the truth of it, that my friend sort of stopped having kids and stopped asking me questions about sex and started asking me questions about money. And, uh, I've always been able to have conversations about things that most people find really uncomfortable. That's, that's been my milieu professionally for a long time. And so going into finance was emotionally a similar space. It's something that a lot of folks find difficult and there can be emotions and shame and trauma sometimes around it. And, um, and I, and I love it. And I work with a, a firm that is woman owned and LGBT inclusive and racially inclusive. And that's not something that um, I've found in many places elsewhere in finance. So I'm really proud of my team and the work that we do.
0: Very, very neat. And we're glad to have you today. Um, I'm going to jump right in. What mistakes do you see therapists make when it comes to saving for retirement?
1: There's a couple of things. One of them that I think is um, pretty common is that they often and, and I've seen people get this advice from other therapists, and you're a tax pro, so you know that it's not good advice, um, to keep their salary really low so that they don't have to pay a lot in Social Security taxes. And um, that can get them into trouble with the IRS for tax reasons that I'll leave to the tax professionals. But when we think about saving for retirement, Social Security is probably still going to be there when we, you people you're in my age, retire. And it's based on the amount of money that you have paid taxes on. So if you are keeping your salary low, uh, so that you can spend money on, you know, other things, buying house, you know, raising your kids, those are those are important things too. Um, the Social Security benefit that waits for you in retirement is going to be really small and much smaller than it could be. Uh, so that's something that I see people doing is is trying to keep that salary low. Um, and it can sort of come back to bite them. Um, Another thing that I see people doing is not setting up the right type of retirement plan. So a lot of folks may have a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA that allows them to only save $6,000 a year for retirement. Um, And as they get to the point where their practice is successful enough that they have more money than that, if they wanna save more than that for retirement, uh, they need to open a different kind of retirement plan, like a SEP IRA or a solo 401k or something like that. And some folks who work for a group practice, they may have a retirement plan, but a lot of the people we work with are real, are, are on their own. So those are two things that I see, um, okay. a sort of artificial ceiling on what they can save.
0: Ooh, artificial ceiling. I, li- I like that. Um, as a tax person, <laughs> I want to circle back to Social Security and Medicare, because I think, and I, I will, correct me if if I'm interpreting this uh, incorrectly, but I don't think you're saying you should pay yourself a salary that is the social security wage base uh, because, or wage cap. Cause that, Oh no, no, no. In no. Most cases like that does not make sense to, to, to pay social security to that extent or that. So I may be putting uh, uh, those words in your mouth, but I would never, I would not, I don't recommend that because that typically you're not going to get your, your an ROI there. But what you're saying is like, don't pay yourself $14,000 as a right. salary. Because then your social security is going to be really, really low. Am I, are we on the same track here? Yes. Okay.
1: So, so what we, what we recommend to folks is that they pay themselves a salary. That's a minimum of a competitive salary for whatever type of therapist they are and the years of experience they have both because the IRS doesn't like to see someone who is like a psychologist getting a salary of $35,000 a year and, and taking the rest as profit distributions. They don't like that. Um, But no, we we think of it much more as like what would be a competitive job if you were working in a university counseling center or something along those lines and set it at that level so that you're at least at that where you would be in the marketplace if you were an employee somewhere else.
0: Okay, we're on the same page there. All right. Completely agree with you. And then (laughs) so when it comes to then saving for retirement, like I I'm of the mindset of something is better than nothing. So if someone can only contribute, you know, $5,000 to an IRA, great. But so tell us what some of the other options are going to be and like when it kind of makes sense to look into some of the options uh, available for business owners.
1: Sure. So when it starts to make sense to get to get a different plan, like a SEP IRA and and a SEP IRA is not much more complicated than a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. You can set them up pretty easily. Um, They allow you, depending on the revenue of the business, to contribute more than the maximum in a traditional or a Roth IRA. That's just like a personal individual retirement account. Um, So it starts to make sense to pursue those things when the business is able to pay you either through salary or or distributions or however you set it up, um, you know, like enough money that you have money left over at the end of the year to save. Right. Like if you, if you've got kids and you're paying mortgage, like there may, you may not have more than $6,000 a year to put into retirement, but some people are able um, to keep the expenses of business low or sort of do different things. Um, it also, the nice thing about a SEP IRA, if you have one set up, is that if you find that at the end of the year, your business has $20,000 in profit, um, you can reduce your taxable income by making that you know, into a retirement plan contribution, and it's above the cap that you could do for an IRA. So we really start to see it becoming useful as the businesses become more successful Um And more more steadily successful. So I mean, therapy for most people is not like very seasonal. Once their practice is is at capacity, there might be certain times of the year where like holidays, back to school, that kind of thing, where there might be a dip of a few few sessions per week that go unfilled. But for the most part, it's going to be comparable 12 months out of the year which is which makes saving for retirement easier than in some other businesses where you might have like two big contracts that pay out each year you know and you can't be doing three thousand dollars a month into your SEP IRA because your the cash flow just isn't consistent
0: enough yeah one of the great benefits of the SEP too is you can contribute all the way up until the day that you file your tax return so you can exactly even though the year is over there's still a little bit of wiggle room there so yep. So uh once there's cash flow available is when you recommend looking at other options, right? Like free yes. cash flow that is not just covering the basic living expenses. Yeah.
1: Okay. Absolutely. Um
0: right. and,
1: and the SEP is the easiest one. Um, if for the one that I personally use, we have a 401k, a self-employed 401k, and there are the advantage to the 401k over the SEP, and this is like sort of nitty gritty retirement plan rules is that the amount you can contribute to the SEP is based on the amount of money that the business earns per year, which can vary. So it can sometimes be less than what you would be able to contribute to an IRA or less than the maximum you could contribute to a 401k. If you set up a 401k, the you can contribute the maximum into the 401k, which this year is 20500 and will go up next year. Um, and it doesn't matter how much the business earns. If you have the ability to set aside that much money, if you have a 401k plan set up, you can do that. Whereas a SEP, it will vary based on the revenue of the business year to year.
0: Yeah, good. Very good point. Um, so I'm going to change directions a little bit let's say someone is moving into private practice and they have an old retirement plan from a previous job what do you, what should they do with that plan
1: um so there are different there are different options and people do people do it differently and some people will maintain the old retirement plan and and it depends on where it's located like if it's at T Rowe Price or Fidelity or like a big financial institution where you, as an individual, could easily set up another account, like another uh, an IRA or a, a SEP, then some people will just keep it where it is uh, and and open a new account in that same financial institution. Um, and depending on where the retirement plan comes from, that there can be advantages to that because some retirement plans, you know, if you worked for a big state university system or a big, you know, if you worked for the state government you may have options available to you in that retirement plan because you were in the institutional investor class that aren't going to be available to you in an individual account. So sometimes taking a look at what's in there, um, you can help determine if you want to move it or not. A lot of people will roll things over. So they're in one account. So every time they leave a job, they'll just sort of roll everything over so that they only ever have like one password that they have to remember (laughs) and everything's just in the same place. And people's viewpoints on this vary. Um, A lot of the folks that we work with, they do roll things over as they they go into private practice so that they have, you know, we have people who have three, four, five old 401Ks, 403Bs from different jobs. Um, and getting it all into one place makes things cognitively easier um, from like an investment standpoint it doesn't necessarily matter where it's located. Uh, it's so it's it's a personal choice sort of what to do with it and, and how easy you want things to be.
0: Okay. but would you recommend uh, leaving it like in that current uh, investment under the umbrella of your former employer or would you recommend like rolling over uh, within the same, company like at-roll price to to a personal account is there does that matter
1: sometimes it does and so there's there's a couple of factors to consider employer plans have options available to them that are not available in in individual plans, like loans from a 401k, for example, you're never allowed to take a loan from an IRA for any, it's just not allowed. Um, You can take the money out and pay penalties and and taxes on it, but many 401k plans, if the employer has allowed it, you can take a loan from your own retirement plan that you would pay back over five years. And, and, you know, people will do that for a first time home purchase. There's a couple of different options why people might do that. So there are some things, that are available in employer sponsored plans that you will lose if you roll it over into an individual account. So that's just something to keep, in. and that's not something that everybody needs access to, um, but that's just one one piece of the puzzle. Um, I think it is easier to have everything in one place, We we work with people every day where like they are, it takes them hours of just personal administrative time to track down all the statements and like do all the stuff. And it's a huge hassle. So um, I think the easiest thing to do, especially for folks that are therapists transitioning to private practice and like what the world needs now is like more therapy. (laughs) I don't want therapists wasting their time and their bandwidth, like fighting to remember the password for their fidelity 401k from like three jobs ago. Like that is an hour of their time that could be spent yeah. on like helping someone who needs therapy.
0: Or like in my mind, the worst case scenario too, is like, you just forget that it's there and like, right. where is it? What bank was it with? Do I still have access? Like that. I mean, And that happens. It happens. happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm on team rollover based on that. <laughs> uh, but I guess this is, this is something that if um, a practice owner is working with a financial planner, like these are the kinds of discussions that you're having, right? Like what works best for you? Uh, and what is aligned with your goals but like what are some of the other benefits from working directly with a financial advisor
1: so one of the things that we do with a lot of the finance, with a lot of the therapist clients that we work with is help them figure out things like how should the business be structured if they're if they're just starting out because that's something people often have questions about and uh, how much to set aside for taxes and, and we want them always to be working with a tax <laughs> professional on the actual like paying hey, yeah. of the taxes. Um, but from, you know, what they what often happens is they come and they, they get their sort of first year where they don't have to pay quarterly estimated taxes. Um, and then they have to start paying quarterly estimated taxes, but they haven't been setting aside that 35 to 40 percent. And suddenly, like they have a lot less money than they thought they did. Um, so we work with folks to get, get uh, their arms around what is the what is the money from this business going to look like, and and how do you treat it as a business before it becomes available to you personally? Because that's something that I think is very complex for folks to not see this number of dollars in their business bank account and feel like that money is just available. If no one's told them, you know, you need to set aside this percent exactly for taxes, no matter what every single deposit that comes in from your, you know, if you're using a practice management system, every deposit that comes in just assume 35 to 40% of it off the top for taxes. And you just don't touch it until, you know, the quarter when you need to send it in. Um, so we Profit help people think about really that.
0: Good for that. Yeah. So yeah. Profit first helps with that a lot. So a little plug for for Profit First, because that that really does help manage a uh, cash flow and like what's actually available for you. Um,
1: we also work with folks to think about what how the money that's coming into the household from the business and how to think about what that looks like at, with their goals in their life. Like, do they have kids? Do they need to save for college? Do they want to buy a house? You know, different things. And therapists have the the benefit if they want to of being able to scale up or down the amount of of work that they do as as needed or as they're able to, which means that they can go part-time if they want to, or they can pick up extra clients if they want to, they can work part-time after retirement if they want to. So there's we model different scenarios for people um, to help them think about how that work might be fruitful for them at various points in their lives.
0: Yeah. So speaking of that, what do you wish every practice owner knew about their financial situation?
1: Um let's see. Um I wish they knew that um (laughs) there every hour of, of time spent doing therapy, which is for most therapists, the only hours that they actually are compensated for are the hours where they are talking to a person, either in person or over video, however, they're doing it takes time to support it, right? Scheduling the client, sending the bill, doing the notes and, and some, it varies from, from setting to setting how much time is required, Um, but oftentimes I find therapists are people who are really caring and really empathetic and really generous. And that means that they can spend a lot of time for which they're not being compensated, um, doing things that are helpful to clients, but are, are not free in that if they're spending time writing a letter for a client, for example, or trying to find a a treatment setting for a client, it means they are not able to spend that time seeing another client and getting paid. Um and so that's something that I think uh and and it applies to other things, like if they're doing social media or sort of any other activity that they're doing that's not sitting in front of clients. When you transition from a job where you are working at an agency or you're working in a counseling center, you're you can spend time doing other types of activities. You might be on committees or like doing other kinds of stuff. And when you're in a private practice setting, you only get paid for one type of labor, (laughs) and that's the type of labor where you're sitting in front of a client. And so really thinking about how much time is spent on activities that don't either bring in clients or um get you as the therapist paid can I think be a challenging transition for some folks um because most people don't become therapists because they want to make lots of money but sort of thinking about like you have to live indoors and eat regularly so you got to prioritize
0: <laughs> that. those are like important stuff. things that are going to get that you can do the other stuff Yeah. And before we started recording, you and I were chatting, like sometimes in that agency setting, it's easy to forget that the clients are just coming in. The billing is just magically happening behind the scenes. Like there's no marketing or community outreach or any of that Mm -hmm. stuff. But like when you're transitioning to private practice, each hour that you see a client, you might be making more money, but you're also spending a lot more time doing all the other things that go with just the operation of a business. Um, absolutely. That time's not, yeah. That time's not paid. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Julie, before we go, I ask all of our guests, what is your favorite business book and why?
1: <laughs> um, I, this is such an interesting question. Um, I, I think, one of the books that I have a bunch of books sitting on my desk right now and like, you'll love this, but I, I wouldn't recommend it for anyone else as, except for like, this is what I tell people, like, this is why you pay someone else so that you don't have to read it is, um, deduct it, lower your small business taxes. <laughs> which i got it from the library and then i bought a copy for myself and i i use it like it's a nolo book and their stuff is like so it's so easy to read and really helpful um but i always tell people like if you would rather die than read this book like you definitely need to hire a tax professional or a financial professional
0: so that you don't have to that you don't have to read this book Um, but i found it really interesting um, I must say, it's the first time this book makes an appearance on our um, <laughs> our, our guest list. So so good job for getting, getting something <laughs> unique. All right. Uh, well, so Julie, if anyone is interested in working with you, finding more about um, the company that you work for, where can they find you?
1: Our website is tollerfinancialgroup.com. And on our website, we have information about the services that we provide. We have recorded webinars that we've done, several of which are designed specifically for mental health professionals. And you can schedule a consultation with me or with any of my colleagues right there from the website.
0: Perfect. And we will link to it in the in the show notes as well. Excellent. All right, Julie, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you, Julie, it's great to meet you.
0: Hey listeners, I've got a little bonus for you today. Um, Before we started officially recording, Julie and I were talking about her transition from being a sex educator to being a financial planner. And that's such a fascinating transition to make. So I'm leaving you today with that uh, behind the scenes footage and I hope you enjoy. Um, And so, okay, tell me a little bit about what you do. That's a big transition, right? From health education to financial planning so like what tell me like what do you do in your firm kind of what that transition was like and we could kind of plan some speaking sure
1: time. sure so it, it happened it's it sort of on on purpose but also by accident In that i i had I've been working for about 15 years in reproductive and sexual health in a variety of different roles and made the transition to doing consulting in, in my field. And I had a couple of different clients working on different projects in reproductive health and a couple of other public health areas. And I was managing my husband's practice at the same time. And um, found that I really enjoyed doing a lot of that, the businessy stuff and, um, like negotiating commercial leases, which was like really, really hard. So like the hardest thing that I've ever had to do is, uh, dealing with that. But I opened, I started a 401k plan for us and, uh, and it was interesting. It was just interesting to me to learn the sort of ins and outs of what it's like to have a spousal business, because there's some really specific things that are sort of only available to businesses that are run by two spouses. So that Mm -hmm. was a fun, a fun thing to learn about. And we got to the point where we were successful enough and had set aside enough money in this 401k plan that we set up for our business, but also from our previous retirement plans that I felt like I needed some adult supervision. (laughs) So I reached out to Fran Toller, who's the owner of my firm. Uh, She was recommended to me by um, a very dear friend of mine whose parents use her as their financial advisor. And so I met with, with Fran and had and told her that I really enjoyed the business stuff and like found it fun and had talked to some different therapists that my husband knew who were sort of themselves individual therapists who struggled to get some of the money and business stuff done correctly. And I had just offered to talk to them about what we had done and found that I really enjoyed that. And in that meeting, Fran basically was like, well, you should be a financial advisor. Uh, (laughs) And she had been, Fran was a midwife before becoming a financial advisor. So we had a similar transition and, and, you know, an interesting background in a sort of very intimate realm of healthcare, uh, you know, in that she's delivering babies and I'm, you know, dealing with sexual health and abortion care and that sort of thing. So like the things that people are like very, very vulnerable about And those skills, I think, make us really enjoy and respect the kinds of vulnerability that people bring to financial planning, especially women. Yeah, Uh, and somehow money is really scary. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, it—it sort of—it never would have occurred to me to do it, and then I met Fran, and it was like, oh, like here's someone else who had a really similar similar background. And I've always been like good at money. Um, that That's just sort of something I've always uh, had an interest in. And, um, you know, until I was like 40, never looked at the people who worked in finance and thought like, yeah, I'm one of them. <laughs> and so then I met Fran and it was like, oh, okay, we can have this little tiny corner of like female LGBT inclusive financial professionals and it can be awesome. And, and we don't have to we don't really have to worry about like the the guys that like dress up like the monopoly man. Uh, <laughs> we're, like, we're just like we're just like not in competition with those guys.
0: <laughs> that's such an interesting way to to put it where like financial planning a lot of times feels like it's a club, right? like the old white guys club and then like okay, maybe the the the, the you know well-to-do women can participate and but like mm-hmm. it just it's not a super inclusive not uh, at all. It's um, so scary to a lot of people just to talk about their money. Absolutely. Right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, and, and I think, I mean, and and my husband is, is similarly um, uncomfortable talking about money. It's not, he's, he doesn't, he's happy to have me sort of take on a lot of that responsibility, but it's, he finds it very stressful. And yeah. so many people do, it's totally normal to find it very stressful. And I think in the same way that like, I can sit down and talk to people about like how many sex partners have you had, right? Like many people find that conversation really terrifying and and they and I'm like, this is a conversation I've had a hundred times. Like nah, I'm just not worried about it. Um, but can sort of can recognize how how difficult it is for people who are not used to having those conversations with people on a regular basis. Um And and Fran is the same way. So I think um, we work with a lot of LGBT folks. We work with a lot of, we're in, we're in our offices in Silver Spring. We work with clients all over the country, but we do have a lot of folks in the DC area. So we have a lot of people that work for like national progressive organizations and like big labor unions and like, you know, people who care about the kinds of things we care about and like would just never want to work with people like that. And so, so that's what, when, you know, we're not, When I say we're sort of not in competition with the majority of of the field, like we're just not, like we're just the people that we work with are either explicitly kind of not welcome or they feel implicitly unwelcome or just not in alignment in terms of their values with some of the the more easily accessible financial institutions. So we're really, we like the people that we work with because they're- they're interesting and they do work that, that we care about and want to support.
0: If you're looking for accounting help, head over to therapyforyourmoney.com accounting to find information about my accounting firm and all of our specialized services just for private practice owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Just head over to iTunes, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a quick shout out. We really appreciate it. The information contained in this podcast represents the host and guest's general opinions and should not be construed as personalized accounting and tax advice. Listeners should consider all facts and circumstances before applying this information and seek appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. Any info provided does not constitute accounting, tax, or legal advice.